0: I think we got stuck with this word design. And so we thought that permaculture design must be making a plan for the way things would look that would then be implemented. Start with the whole. Start with the whole and work from the whole. Don't think you can assemble anything. We had to years ago give up being the guys with the brilliant ideas and work with people so that they come up with the brilliant ideas. Because you will never come up with something creative if you got to have the answer at the beginning. You will just be rechewing the same old hash.
1: Warm greetings to you and welcome on back to the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast. I'm your host, Dan Palmer, and this is episode number 20. Today's episode is a lovely, enriching conversation with Joel Glansberg, who I'm privileged to be having my second conversation with. I interviewed Joel for episode number 12, which I'd recommend checking out if you haven't heard already and Joel is back. The experience of having this conversation was like a soothing balm after the intense fire of the last episode in which, uh, if you haven't checked it out, Carol Sanford, I don't know, blew my mind, destroyed a lot of my language and left me quivering for a few days afterwards with a lot of questions on my mind. It was amazing, I've since joined Carol Sanford's online school and getting a lot of value and I'm excited to, hopefully among many others, be a conduit for some of that very clear thinking around living systems and regenerative paradigms into permaculture, because it's all very resonant and all that. Now, Joel is a long-term colleague, like 20 years plus colleague of Carol Sanford's and in his work with Regenesis Group, uh, as well as his work with tracking and a part of his own website set up called Pattern Mind, uh, has been bringing these, um, these frameworks, these ways of working to the world for a long time now. And it was really exciting to Chew the fat with them into Joel's got a beautiful, accessible way of, I don't know, I'd say inviting us into different perspectives on what it is we're doing as permaculture designers. Joel is also coming to Melbourne. We're going to be making some trouble together. I'm very excited about that. He's giving a free talk in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia on the 17th of July and then a one day workshop titled Regenerating Place on July 28th. You can find out more about those events uh, through Very Edible Gardens. It's veryediblegardens.com.au, the company I'm part of. And i us let some of the chat. I'll, as per usual, I'll fill you in on what's hot and what's coming with making permaculture stronger at the end, as well as giving you some links to the different beautiful things Joel is part of making happen in the world all right enjoy all right so here I am uh, about to commence my second episode conversation with Joel Glansberg over in New Mexico good day Joel
0: good day how are you
1: I'm very well I'm very well and I'm pumped to to have this chat with you for a lot of reasons one of them being uh, like three days ago I had a very intense experience um, interviewing Carol Sanford a colleague of yours yeah, I'm still, I don't know, recovering. I don't know, if recovering into. I'm still integrating after that experience of Carol having this insane ability to catch words coming out of someone's mouth, in this case my mouth, that give her clues. Basically, I realised she was doing a form of tracking. She was using the words, using as, as tracks or traces, and she was tracking down any fragmentary thinking that was informing the language, <laughs> you know, and then throwing that back in my face. And oh my God, wow, really amazing. And and going deeper than I ever had into the living systems thinking approach and her perspective. But uh, uh, yeah, coming off of that conversation, which I imagine some of these listeners, some of the people listening to us right now will have checked out, or if not, check it out. It's a ride, I tell you. But I was really excited to have a conversation with her now.
0: What's that? She's a force of nature. I don't think you could have an interview with her that was not intense.
1: (laughs) yeah far out yeah she's is. Dis- she's a disruptive contrarian as she says but i was pumped to be talking to you as yeah as, as part of it's like because i know you your work and your way of thinking approaching things overlaps massively with carols but you're not as intense as carol so it's going to be a
0: yeah, uh,
1: um. <laughs> <laughs> very, very pleasant to continue exploring the same themes um, without feeling like you know I've, i'm trying to stay abreast of what the hell's going on in the moment <laughs> um, i'm also really excited because you're going to be with me you're coming over to melbourne to do some training to do with regenesis and the regenerative practitioner stuff which maybe you can tell us about but you're going to stick around for another yeah. week yeah and you're going to come and give a free talk through Edible gardens the company i'm part of and then run a one-day workshop and in between times we're going to hang out, and you're going to come to some of my projects. And I'm—I mean—I'm so excited and grateful for that opportunity to continue to benefit from your friendship, mentorship, and I know I'm going to learn heaps because I'm after the chat with Carol. Um, let alone after having been in touch with you for a few years. I'm highly motivated to to explore these flavors because they resonate so much with where I've the directions I've sort of been fumbling in. So great to have another conversation with you.
0: Likewise, I'm I'm looking forward to all of it, Dan, and. I'm always heartened by people doing good work around the world and constantly looking to do better. Mm -hmm. And so I'm all over that. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm really excited to be able to be down there with you all down there and see what's going on there and learn from you all as well. Mm -hmm. Brilliant.
1: I should mention uh, episode number 12 of the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast was the previous conversation that Joel and I had, and I'd highly recommend that for anyone. Like I would even recommend the possibility of, if you haven't checked that out, stopping this, go and tracking that one down and listening to it first. Cause Joel does an amazing job of, of really sharing the deep paradigm or worldview way, way of thinking and approaching things that uh, he's coming from, which is a great listen. So, check that out now or later if you want to. And let's get into it. I, one, th- one thing I was really curious after the chat with Carol, Joel, was I, in the, on, the, on our last conversation, you talked about how your experience of getting into permaculture, then at some point, you you became aware that the development industry was a powerfully destructive force on the planet. And you started Regenesis Group, a consulting company business, where you partnered with some organizational people, a bunch of permaculturists, a couple of organizational types. And then you started doing work under that Banner and I would love to get into that today and hear more about some of the specific work you do and I know that that's there's some sort of relationship with Carol Sanford's work and I'd be I just love to I'm trying to get my head around how that how does that work so it'd be lovely just to hear about how that's structured what the relationship what's the community that's part of.
0: Wonderful yeah so over 20 years ago was doing permaculture and two of my colleagues Ben Haggard and Tim Murphy taught a workshop about I believe it was about patterns in nature And two of the participants were Bob and Pamela Mang, and they had been doing this organizational development work using the Living Systems Thinking Frameworks that Carol has been doing as well. So Pamela and Carol were next door neighbors many years ago, and they got into this work together working with Charlie Crone, who was building off of the work of John Bennett and... Spensky and Gurdjieff and many many people including physicist David Bohm looking at okay if the real problem is how we're thinking how do we get aware of how we're thinking and how do we consciously shift how we're thinking and Pamela and Bob realized that we permies were talking about very similar things coming at it from a very strong living systems perspective and they were coming at very similar things from the more human organizational development aspects. And in our permaculture work, Ben and Tim and I were very frustrated that people second-guessed our design decisions or our designs didn't last very long, things got literally bulldozed or never implemented at all. And we realized that we were not engaging people in a participatory design process, whereby they not only understood those design decisions, But they had ownership for them. And long after we were gone, it could continue to evolve and develop. So we connected with Bob and Pamela. Um, Bob and Pamela had proposed to Tim and Ben that they start a business. And they said, oh, you would better go talk to Joel. So I joined up with them. And we started Regenesis uh, well over 20 years ago now. And as you said, to shift the development industry because it's such a destructive force on ecological systems and human systems, economies, cultural systems, And it could be an incredible force for regenerating them all. So as powerful a force as anything is in destroying something, it could be an equal or greater force for helping them to grow and to evolve. And so we've really been focused on the built environment, human inhabitation in places. And our main focus has been, okay, so much of the destruction on the planet is because we do things generically. We do the same, treat water generically, we grow food generically, we treat children generically in school. And what's beautiful about the living world is that every living being and place is unique and has unique things to offer. So half of our work is just getting people aware of how the unique places they're wanting to work actually function so they could help them grow and evolve instead of be entirely ignorant of them and just try to cram them into boxes that cause the damage. So from the beginning, Carol has been engaged and involved with us, helping us with retreats. We've been engaged for years in one of her ongoing series. And um, Carol and I were just doing a presentation together in California a couple of weeks ago. And um, she's really focused now on, as are we at Regenesis, this work can't stop with us. It's got to get way beyond us and continue to evolve and grow. And that's why Carol's been doing so many series around the world with people. It's why we've been doing this, the Regenerative Practitioner TRP series through Regenesis, um, which is what's bringing me there to Australia. And for me, I then added another piece to all of this, which is tracking, like you were talking about, right? That all of the work that we're doing trying to understand living systems is always a kind of tracking how do we look at the physical things we can see or the words we hear to see what, where they're coming from, what's behind them, what are those tracks of? And so um, that's why I came up with this idea of Pattern Mind. And that website is the idea that tracking and permaculture and living systems thinking are all pattern ways of looking at a living world. And if you put them all together, you can see a much more whole perspective of that. And so that's what we're going to do on that one-day workshop in Australia is a lot of embodied experiential things. And it was very striking to me at this conference Carol and I were at. We had a conversation for maybe 40 minutes, and then she said, Oh, Joel, do some movement stuff with people so they can actually have a physical, concrete experience of the working of living systems instead of just our words about them. And particularly in a conference environment where it's so many words to actually get into our bodies And Embody things and to honor and respect the living system that is us and that we can learn everything We need to from that about Other larger systems. It's always heartening to see people's Responses and reactions and curiosity it develops and people laughing and people actually playing which is obviously when we learn the best
1: Yeah, fantastic as you're talking about uniqueness i had a flashback to the moment in the chat with carol when i used the word mimic (laughs) (laughs) and um yeah she let me know what she thought about that you know in the the sense that to mimic is to deny uniqueness is you know you're taking one thing and trying to make it like another thing (laughs) and another couple of goes i suggested learning from or partnering with nature and that didn't that was not well
0: received (laughs) because we are nature right one of the things carol's all all on about is the things, the unconscious ways that we separate ourselves from nature, the way we fragment the world there 's this wonderful thing that David Bohm says that carol 's been tenacious about, which is start with the whole, start with the whole, and work from the whole don 't think you can assemble anything and for me that 's been super useful in thinking about permaculture because so often permaculture design ends up being an assemblage of elements or even an assemblage of strategies or where are we going to put the swales, where are we going to put this, how are we going to do that instead of no, what is this whole being, how are we going to work on developing this whole being toward its greatest potential and then what would be all the instruments, the strategies that we would use to move in that direction instead of just being the the one-trick ponies we usually are, and whipping out the things that worked so well yesterday. Yeah, totally reaching into that grab bag.
1: It's kind of enigmatic to me because often in permaculture, there's a big focus on sector analysis and looking at water flows and all that. But then when the design question of what are we going to do here kicks in, like there's a sense in which it's like we're just dropping elements into a void rather than having that clarity about what is Mm -hmm. the hole here? What's the unique character of this place and these people and once you've got clarity on that you can't just drop any old thing in because it needs to support the evolution of that particular unique system yeah hey on the um on the tracking front i was meaning to tell you that the my first exposure to the whole idea of tracking was with that workshop a couple of years back now in new zealand and on what you mentioned, Tom Brown Jr. And since then, I did a one-week workshop with Tom Brown and a rare visit of his, and so went into that whole world a lot more deeply. And like you say, the resonance with both permaculture and living systems thinking is just off the charts. And I'm, I'm really carrying a lot of the energies of what I experienced that week with Tom into my work going forward. Also,
0: it's tracking is our oldest art, right? It's so everything we humans are doing is springing from that. And it's really saying, uh, life is a process. So the only way you can see the process of life is by looking at the tracks it that left. That's what geologists are doing, looking at the shape of the hills and the stones at their feet. It's what you do when you're reading a book. You're looking at just the, the letters on the page, but you're seeing with your mind's eye the mental processes that left those. and uh, for me, that's, it's what's happening in Polynesian navigation. It's what's happening in so many of the things we're doing. And, and that's why, you know, we were talking earlier about the open letter I wrote to the permaculture community. And for me, that's so much what that was about, is to say two things. I think we got stuck with this word design, And so we thought that permaculture design must be making a plan for the way things would look or the structure of things that would then be implemented. And particularly because we've been trying to make a living at this, we had to, or at least felt like we had to fit into existing boxes for architects, landscape architects, what have you. And one of the things that I've been working on over the years and learned from Carol and Pamela and all these others is that now permaculture design is about doing your analysis well enough so you could find the one tiny change, the least change for the greatest effect, right? The, to go back to that old Mollisonian principle, that little intervention is going to change the existing trajectories of the living systems. It's not about designing and making anything. It's about, ah, if we put a garden here, what would that influence? If we put a window there involving loan fund here, what would that influence? So that all we're looking for is those tiny differences that shift the underlying patterns that create something new. And for me, things like Reading The One Straw Revolution did that, entirely changed the way I think and the orientation of my life and everything else that's come from then has very much just been um, building on the change that Fukuoka's ideas wrought in my mind. Right, So that's one big thing is to try to change us from being materialist, thinking we're going to design regenerative or even sustainable things. There is no such thing right? The only thing that's sustainable or regenerative are living systems. And everything's got to regenerate itself. The best thing we can do is uh, enable that by these little acupuncture interventions. And the other thought was our gardens, our projects are really the sandbox where we learn how living systems function, right? And so we get to play with, off, oh, I put this plant here, or I introduce grazing animals, or I introduce chickens, or I introduce this idea, or even this book. How does that change the system? Because what we'd better step up to is working on all these large systems that are going to kill us, regardless of how nice and resilient our garden or our community is. And probably more importantly, because we're all going to die it's going to leave a poorer world for those who come after us. And so I would love it if we would take the brilliant experience we've all had, working with living systems, finding those least changes for the greatest effect, stacking functions, you know, so many of those principles are about, uh, what's that little thing we do that has amplifying viral effects throughout the system? And that instead of trying to fight climate change or fight oil companies or fight anyone, how could we introduce ideas, concepts, conversations, small changes into living systems that would help to regenerate them? And that's what we've been trying to do at Regenesis all these years is in a place, how can a development be an acupuncture intervention? We're putting loads of money and energy into it anyway. We might as well get huge amplifying returns on that investment instead of just have it not waste too much energy or water. Yeah, love it. Love it. It's also fantastic. Yeah, I I, I totally
1: agree with that. Word design, it's a dangerous little word. I do think there's there's a real trap in that that it's hard not to fall into, partially because, like you say, we exist in this economic structure where drawing plans and selling them is something we can get into pretty quick but I love that idea of one of those light bulb moments for me was when Tom Brown said he says pretty much everything he said is quoting grandfather but every mark is a track you know that everything is a track or a trace of the process that resulted in it and wow you know so, and that's given me a to me it's like a figure ground switch you know because it's so easy we, we walk around we see things we see the fence the tree the window the heater but flipping into that those are all tracks of processes that preceded them and that feeling that sometimes the world suddenly becomes alive and it's all in flow Mm -hmm. and process and moving. And then what we used to call design is really more about participating in that and transforming it and finding those least changes for the greatest effect where you're shifting. It's not like we're falling around with things and coming up with a, a nice pattern of things. We're intervening in the ongoing flow, the trajectory of the system. And just focus. What's just what's the one thing? Let's just do that. Not not the big, complicated at all. Just the one thing. And now the thing's in a different place. Okay. And what next? And so on. In that generative process. It's it's beautiful. Awesome. Well, in terms of projects, maybe that would be something that'd be great to get into. One thing I've been feeling with this project in general, I'm feeling very grateful for the support and the and people are trying. One thing I want to tell you actually is that. It's reached this incredible point, Making Permaculture Stronger as a Project, where these conversations and the blog posts and all that, I don't know if I want to say to my surprise, but certainly to my great pleasure, people around the world are are getting something out of it and and actually experimenting and finding a lot of this material useful to, to prompt them to continue experimenting with their own understandings of what they're doing when they're doing permaculture design. And I've been feeling this sentiment of gratitude that people have been following along with some of these quite sort of deep convoluted inquiries and lots of words like you're saying and wanting to bring more practical examples in and and i'd love if you are open to it i'd love to hear about the rubber hitting the road stuff how some of these perspectives and you know whatever paradigms approach the living system seeking how that's playing out in some in some actual projects on the ground
0: yeah there's one project that i've been working on for about six months now that's in boston it's in the boston area in an area that was in the late 1800s, early 1900s, like suburban Boston. And it's the site of some of the earliest green infrastructure in the world by a very famous landscape architect uh, whose name is escaping me right now. But it's something called the Emerald Necklace. And it's a whole string of waterways and parks that are interconnected that go all the way down to the Charles River, Olmsted is the landscape architect's name, and it deals with flood water it deals with filtering stormwater and providing open space that's interspersed with urban space and provides corridors for people and wildlife and birds and everybody else and there's some large chunks including a large arboretum and others that it connects and that are near enough to be sort of um, ecological stepping stones habitat stepping stones but In that area, there's a 30-year-old or so affordable housing project, and it's timing out. So the way some of these projects work in the States is that the government, the federal government or state government or municipal government puts up money to guaranteed loans. It guarantees a certain interest rate over the life of the bond or the investment people put into it. And at the end of that period, everybody gets their money back plus the interest. And um, at that time, the owners can turn it into market-rate housing if they so choose. And in today's environment, that would be a very lucrative thing to do. But it's a very interesting client where he inherited this from his father, and he's done real estate development for years. And um, he's been working on something he calls bioconsonant design, that how do we be consonant with living structures? How do we harmonize them? So he worked for two years with the city and the state to come up with the money to keep this affordable for the next 30 years. So he's still got to pay off all of his investors and he's still got to upgrade the building. And what's really striking is there's a whole bunch of buildings that are going to be in the exact same situation throughout the U.S. very soon. And so if we don't do some creative things with them, they're all going to turn into expensive gentrification. Also, he's a kind of a genius at figuring out how to finance these things. So there's some public spaces in the ground floor and throughout the building that we've been talking about. How do you use them for artist studio space? How do you use them for a nursery for the people doing food forests in the area? How do you make this an active part of the community? So the residents are not just going there to live out the rest of their lives. They're actually giving back to the community and engaged in the life of the community. And so he's saying, well, we don't have money to both refurbish the building, work on these spaces, and do a deep energy retrofit. So how about if we were to spend the money on the deep energy retrofit and the money that we saved each month, went into a fund that could further develop these public spaces and develop the individual units so that we're actually putting our money where our mouth is, banking on the energy investment, and use that to help revitalize the place. And the thing that's really striking to us is there's a beautiful book that the local Audubon Center put together. And the first line of it is to say, the land itself was an immigrant here. So the land where we are was a piece of um, Avalonia, which was down in Gondwanaland, right, in the South Pole. And it moved up and it got smashed into North America by Africa, right? So the land came in that way. And then when the glaciers came, they covered that with soil from elsewhere. And then all the plant animal communities had to move up right? Because when it was under a mile of ice, there weren't any oak trees and chestnuts and deer and wolverine and beaver, right? So all the animals had to come in. And then the native peoples came in from further south. And then you get the Europeans coming in. And the really interesting thing is that there's a complex fault line that runs through here that breaks through, went out. The plants and animals came in through this corridor, and the people came in through this corridor. And it's also what kept it this kind of sheltered suburbia from the time of the 1700s, where the wealthy people would come out here to get out of the hot, fevery cities, and then the working-class people later on. It's for a long time been this accessible refuge for plants and animals and people that's enabled people to reinvent themselves. Many kind of amazing things in the Boston area that then spread to the world started here. And then they spread out from there, just like the plant and animal communities or even the the native communities. And so it's interesting to see this kind of microcosm of that within the building as this sheltered enclave that's sheltering, giving a place an accessible refuge for the creative, marginalized people in the society so that they can help rebuild that ability throughout the community. Because it's, it's one of these places where um, as many artist communities throughout the world, after a while, they start to become gentrified and they're not as vital and viable as they once were. And so it's been a little bit of an uphill battle to get people to trust us and to believe in it But I think we're beginning to tap into some of the great veins of effort people are already making in the community and helping them see how they could use this as a resource for what they're already trying to do. So instead of just an energy-efficient, water-efficient, affordable housing project, it's becoming an acupuncture point for regenerating the community and the watershed from there, yeah. And spreading these ideas throughout the whole affordable housing community because, as I said, there's going to be a lot of people out of homes if every affordable housing project that comes up and it's, it's uh, funding is mature turns over into market rate housing. Mm. Yeah. So we're always looking at things for what's the pebble we want to throw into the pond to create the waves that go out and are transformational to a broader system. Cause we can't possibly go out and make those changes. The best we can do is, Create a pattern that can replicate itself and alter itself and manifest itself in different ways in different places.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's so great. I love this idea. I I, I remember I read, or I think I was reading some book of Carol's and she talked about how sometimes people say to her, because she's she's worked with some big companies, including companies that deal with chemicals and mine titanium and stuff like that. And people have come to her and said to Carol, you're about living systems. What the hell are you doing? You know, working with these assholes that are wrecking the place. And she said, so what, what do you want me to do? Just like, leave them to keep doing it <laughs> and she goes in and, and you know th- she th- i think she throws quite a few pe- pebbles around but has has some remarkable impacts in in that situation and i'm excited to share the big development project i'm working on at the moment I was just having the thought of getting you in front of the developer, which we can probably do, hang out. Because I've been gently trying to, I don't know, effectively work with his mind, you know. And it's exciting to, because he's someone who's making a whole lot of things happening all across Melbourne. And as he starts to shift, things become possible. And that level, levels of scale, you know, on the one hand, you're you're supporting this person to have small change for, for great effects on individual houses. And then this building complex as a whole, but at the same time, doing it in a way where you're you're prototyping a model that could then be replicated across the country. And so that, you know, that's, that's quite uh, quite fantastic.
0: What if we were just to raise the bar for what was acceptable, right? What if we just, because one of the things that Carol is all about is everybody's is a human being and has greater aspirations than just making money but they probably don't know how to do that, right? And if nobody talks to them about it, how would they ever learn, right? It's not what they've spent their time on. So if you can show people, so I, had, I was working with Newland Communities, the largest horizontal residential developer in the States. They probably have 40 projects going at any one time. Been working with them for a while in Texas, and we're at this big meeting, and one man we'd been working with for some months, He stood up and he said, I was driving around this weekend with my two teenage boys, and I pointed out to them a spot we're going to develop. And they said to me, oh, dad, you're going to destroy that too? And he had a desire to be the best developer in the world so his boys would be proud of him. Because he had always thought he was making communities for people. He was making places for people to live. He wasn't intending to destroy ecosystems or watersheds or anything. And now the bar was raised. Now he had a reason to want to learn because he wanted his boys to, to respect him and honor him and be proud of him. And so if we can tap into that humanity in people and show them how to do it instead of tell them they're bad people. Of course, they're not going to listen to us, right? So we need to help them see those insights. And that's how we change the whole development industry. So it would never occur to someone to destroy a watershed. Why would you do that when you could just as cheaply make the watershed better? Why would you want to destroy uh, anything that was working when you could make more money from taking good care of it? Yeah, for sure. I I remember in our last conversation, you were talking
1: about these three framework, you've often got an activating force and then a restraining force. And often that we're sort of just focusing on the conflict between those two when you can move to a a third level, which is a a reconciling, I can't remember what you called it. But I was thinking Mm -hmm. of that when you because like in this project, you're just telling us about you've got some development proposals, and then you've got a community. And a very, very, very common pattern around the world is that those two things, one's an activating force, one's a restraint, you know, there's a conflict between those two. And of course, the the creatives, the community are hyper-skeptical, very validly. This is just more bullshit greenwashing mm. or whatever. Deep down, the developers just pulling the wool over their eyes to, to make an extra buck or whatever. But the developers aren't going to go away. You know, the community's not going to go away unless there can be working models of Reconciling those where the community gets it like what you're, you're saying. It's been an uphill battle but You feel like the tides turning like ah oh, Right. No, we this is not bullshit. There's, there's something in this and to create examples of that Is um, yeah, I can see that how that's important work
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, you probably know the stuff that john and macy started years ago and uh john seed picked up on there in australia of uh council of all beings Right, where you get a little piece of paper and you're a different species of tree or plant or animal or whatever. And I was always struck by myself and in those somehow me thinking that I could understand more how a salmon thought and saw the world than a logger or a banker or a developer. And it made me realize, oh no, I probably understand them better than I would like to. Right. And that it's, It's really a matter of not judging and figuring out how do we reconcile those things, right? It's why my favorite permaculture principle is the problem is the solution, right? If the developer is the problem, how are they the solution? If carbon is the problem, how is it the solution? If climate change is the problem, how is it the solution, right? that uh, it's either always the solution or it's never the solution, right? And that's what that law of three is about. It's saying that that thing we're up against that we think is the problem is the thing that forces us to be creative. And so our challenge is how do we actually be creative instead of reenacting over and over Saint George killing the dragon, identifying the sinner that needs to be Sent to hell. Yeah, yeah. Round and round it goes.
1: <laughs> hey, I was just one thing I just came up to me was you're called in, and sometimes you're called in where people have probably pretty high expectations. You know, like I imagine you quite often get presented with some pretty gnarly, multifaceted issues where there's tensions and conflicts and. And of course, to really authentically bring a living systems perspective, you can't go on there with a master plan. You can't go on there with all the answers. So you, you must often be in a situation where you're hearing about a really complex tangle that you're, you're there to support some sort of way forward within, but you don't know what that is. And
0: mm.
1: I'd love to hear about that because so, you're in a situation, but some people are looking at you wanting you to know what that is. You know what I mean? And, but if you do know what it is, well, you're, prete- you're, you're actually pretending how, how do you navigate that? Like, how do you, How do you maintain the confidence of the stakeholders when you're in a discovery process and you don't have the answer? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So two things. The first is this is why we no longer say we're designers. We're resources to design teams. So we are there to help develop people's capacity and capability to think in terms of living systems. We had to years ago give up being the guys with the brilliant ideas and work with people so that they come up with the brilliant ideas. Because once again, we're not going to be there forever. What's going to happen when the next problem rears its head or the next project or whatever else? So if we can embed this capacity throughout the culture or even just throughout the industry, it changes what's possible. In both understanding places and coming up with the solutions, you're right. We've had to work for years to inside our own selves calm down about not knowing and help everybody else calm down about not knowing because you will never come up with something creative if you got to have the answer at the beginning. You will just be rechewing the same old hash. So, a lot of this work is internal to um, not freak out about all these things and to enable others to not freak out about them as well. And it's one of the reasons why it's really useful to not do this as an individual, but to have at least one partner involved. That's why we always feel two people. It's because if I fall asleep, my partner hopefully is still conscious, right? Or if I get hooked and start to preach at people, hopefully they're still awake enough to say, oh, well, how if we just gave you the answers, how is that helping develop your capability? And we're really clear with people from the beginning That's that's what they are paying us for. So we, we are setting the bar in a very different place. And when we first started this 20-some years ago, that was a lot harder than it is now. And it's partly we've just gotten, it's partly the culture has begun to change and the industry, Twenty some years ago, nobody used this word regenerative. And so we feel like even that regenerative has become a well-used word has a lot to do with the work that Regenesis has been plugging away at for over two decades, right? And that really the point is, how do we make sure that regenerative doesn't get degenerated into some different form of sustainability? And it actually is something that enables whatever it is to regenerate itself. Which has to do with us building capability and capacity for it to regenerate itself, because I can't regenerate you any more than you can regenerate me, and that is a change in mind and perspective that's as important to maintain and practice as any of the rest of this.
1: Yeah, great. I love that. And as you're talking, I realize that I would hope that this stuff is really helpful to people, because I I know there's a lot of permaculture, like a lot of permaculture designers. I mean, I, and perhaps part of the issue is that you're actually thinking yourself as permaculture designers, but around the world that feedback to me, what you said, some of the issues that catalyzed the beginning of Regenesis, which is, I just got sick of not seeing my designs implemented, you know, or something mm. would happen where there just wasn't ownership and there wasn't capability for the people to continue seeing those energies forward. And that's been part of my journey too. And It's probably been seven or eight years now since I stopped being a designer, design expert and became a design facilitator. And also that thing it's a it's about developing your own faith and confidence in yourself so that you can hold space and you can carry that energy. And I love it these days. Also it's that pre communication. Before I even get there, they know that I'm not coming in to be the design expert. I'm coming in there to facilitate a process. And so in the moment when they say, So what are we gonna do? There's no answer that's coming from me. I say, Well, let's find out. Let's find out together. In fact, let me continue to support you to find out because this is your work. I'm not here to dishonor or disservice you by taking your work away from you, from taking away from you one of the most thrilling, exciting ways that you can be you and you can be alive, which is developing your place and becoming more embedded and enmeshed and, and nested in, in, in your situation rather than saying, oh, yeah, Dan Palmer, he, you know, he, he came in and, and that's why the place is so great. It's like, oh, yeah, we had this guy. I, I can't even remember his name. <laughs> But we did this, we did this and we're continuing to do it and it's unfolding and it just gets better and more magical every every year. Yes, yeah, so hopefully that um, yeah. gets some people thinking about there. And I, I think that pre-communication is really important because it's really hard to turn things around when you're actually in the meeting and people have that expectation that you're going to be the design expert. But if you've primed them on the phone mm. or in the way you communicate your service offerings on the on your web page or whatever it is. And I think also getting some experience, like finding someone that is starting to work in this way. I was going to mention a um, someone I, I know, you know, a friend and colleague of yours, also Jason Gerhard, um who I had a had a fantastic conversation with recently as well. And he said he's appreciated very much working a little bit of work he's done with you. Or he's been doing this kind of work for a similar period to me. So there's a real we're feeling a really affin- affinity in the, the ways we're working together. Also, hey, I wanted to you you mentioned that phrase unhooked, uh, hooked, sorry. And I, I wanted to mention I another chat I had a while back was with a fascinating character, Clinton Callahan, who developed this approach called possibility management. And a lot about a lot of that is about becoming self aware enough and kind of getting your own shit out out of the way or sorted out enough so you can be present enough in the moment to source possibility, to find directions this could unfold in that Otherwise, just wouldn't have been accessible, and then, and then to support the team you're working with to go down these directions. And one of the core skills they have these seven core skills, and one of them is being unhookable like learning to become un- unhookable. And, like you say, you work in teams because I don't, I don't think it's possible for someone to come com- completely unhookable. But, you know, like, so, like, for example, if someone out there is is thinking, okay, well, maybe I'll take some of this on board in my next design project. I'll go in there and I'll be a facilitator. I'll be a, I'll be a supporter rather than the designer. You're probably going to get hooked within a few minutes, right? Someone will make a, a statement about, well, hang on, <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't you know what to do? Or you're the designer, you tell us what to do or whatever and suddenly you're flustered and you're like, oh shit, hang on, fuck, oh, yeah, what, what do I do? I better say something. Whereas if you can be in a space where you're not hooked, you're cool, you're cool. Hey, I'm here to support you to, to do this work. Let's do it. Do you want to take some steps? Because I can tell you what steps we can take right now but for me to give you an answer right now, that's not the way I work, whatever it is. And it's a, it's a, it's a self-development process. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And it's, that's a lot behind this work. So um, instead of you know, going and sitting on a pillow or sitting on a hill or all these different yogic practices that work on those things, this is it's me working with real people in the real world That hooks me and so that's where I get to practice that aspect right it's I don't go off and work on myself elsewhere I'm working on myself in the moment when those things are happening right and and even in the TRP we start with frameworks that are about internal locus of control and external considering instead of putting an external locus of control everything is somebody else's responsibility and fault And all I'm doing is considering, oh, they don't like me, whatever's going on, instead of, oh, no, I have responsibility for all of this. And including that question they just asked me, and I'm going to consider, oh, what's going on for them? Why are they wanting reassurance, right? They're not really wanting me to say, oh, yeah, here's the answer. They're wanting me to reassure them, don't worry, we'll get there, and that we'll get there better because you're involved like the things that you're saying and even one of the things we've begun to do at the beginning of the TRP is to ask people what they really want out of the course and then we ask them what will that require of you to make sure you get that out of the course so all of a sudden it's not on us to deliver their entertainment or their fulfillment or their learning that we're doing it together and that we're each taking responsibility for that so that's an important piece in all of this work, I think. And it's again that same thing of you know mimicking nature or listening to nature or learning from nature instead of, no, nah, we are nature, right? We're all in it together. There are none of these separations, that it's either a whole or it isn't a whole. And that's the thing I'm constantly really working on is as you're saying, how do I notice my preconceptions that are creating these gaps that are othering that are making things problems instead of seeing how are those problems potential solutions because that's all life has ever done right the bacteria didn't say oh hell there's too much carbon in the atmosphere we better make something that's going to take carbon out of the atmosphere there was beings that arose that would suck up that carbon right and that's why we have forests and algae and everything else today right so it's it really is how do we see problems as doorways to that next level yeah and i think that's what how do we see permaculture as a way to help us <laughs> one of the the things i this if you ever been to an acupuncturist they spend a good acupuncturist spends more time feeling your pulses and finding out what's going on putting the needles in the place, right? They don't put the same needles in the same place for every patient every time. They're looking for, okay, where now today is the least change for the greatest effect that's going to change underlying patterns that's going to shift existing manifestations of symptoms or health. And that's how I see our work being and it takes work to develop ourselves to be good trackers to be able to turn what we see into a living understanding that we can see the potential within Mm.
1: Mm. for sure i'm more excited than i was when we started about your visit (laughs) and like and the possibility of having situations where you're the offsider, you know I'm gonna do what I can to organize some, yeah, some gnarly engagements. And
0: um. <laughs> well, yeah. there's always a benefit being an outsider because one, you can see things that people who swim in that water every day cannot, and also you have opportunities that others do not. There's may have told you this story before. I got to work with the grandparents of the ecological arts movement, Helen and Newton Harrison and they did a project here in santa fe working on the watershed and someone was telling them oh you can't let so-and-so know you talk to so-and-so and and that is somebody's turf and this is somebody else's turf and that person they used to be married and they got divorced and and after about five minutes of this newton's eyes got really large behind his glasses and he said i'm far too stupid to know anything about any of this and so i've adopted that as my prerogative that i can be far too stupid to be aware of all of these dynamics even if they're right there in the room um i don't have to engage with them yeah
1: yeah all right Joel. well yeah I don't, I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to add this has been fantastic i'm excited about some maybe some directions that some of the stuff coming up on the mm-hmm. blog can go in in terms of really yeah getting starting to get really practical and giving people Like one idea I just said was that that idea of actually inviting someone to come along to the initial meeting with the client where their job is maybe they pretend to be helping with the process or whatever, but what their real job is to watch you and what you're doing and what's happening and getting excited about, all right, I can, I was going to say feedback, but Carol just, (laughs) 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 yeah, far out. She's axed that one as well. Like, no, but she, she got, we had a conversation and she eventually, yeah, she's like, oh no, that's not feedback. The thing I was talking about, which is great. So like, you can have that, which is reflective. Someone can give you their, their reflections on what was going on where it's just their reflections and it's not, you know, it's, it's up to you what you make of them. But to to, to get better at that at just managing the, the dynamics of being in conversation and so much of it is about that. And, and also one thing I'll stress is that that first engagement, right? It's like 90% as important as all the rest or something like that. Like the energy of, in a sense, the way that the clients are feeling walking out of that initial engagement, that is going to infuse the rest of the process. And sometimes that's going to be the thing that means it stops right then and there. And that's a skill yeah that has no top end that we can continue to get better at forever and I, I'm so conscious of that these days that just putting that extra energy up front to get things rolling along with the right tone where you know everyone knows what the go is and, and I like it also if early on there's some nothing like what Carol does but there's a little bit of disruption you know there's, there's some freshness there's some rawness like if there's some tears that, that's great you know if people are actually talking about their dreams for this place in a way that's where they feel safe enough to, to go to that level and, and for emotions to arise. Like that's a really healthy, and I, like I, I see that initial engagement as a microcosm of how the whole process is going to be. So the richer that can be, the richer the, the rest. Do, do you see it that way or?
0: Yeah, I think it's super important. And I think one of the things that's behind what you're talking about is how do we make sure we're actually present in the moment instead of present to what we want to say or our great design ideas we came up with one of the things you were making me think about is uh the guy i've learned all this tracking from john stokes um, from the tracking project here in new mexico he worked with tom brown but before and after that he studied in australia with some aboriginal trackers including jimmy james who you you can google jimmy james he's a There's monuments to him there. But one of the things that he did was he hired a uh, comedian to travel with him to all his classes and spend the day making fun of him because he saw so much in all of these movements, how easy it is for our egos to be built up and to people to put us on pedestals and to like ask us, you know, what's the secret of life or whatever. And um, so maybe you should think about bringing a comedian along to those initial meetings so they can just like razz you the whole time so that you're actually pleasant.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, 100%. When I
0: first went out to run one, These engagements, this Regenesis engagements by myself, Pamela told me, yeah, the first time I was about to get up in front of 50 to 100 people, my mentor who was sitting next to me, as I stood up, whispered in my ear, I sure hope this shit works, because he knew that would actually have her fully be present instead of droning on about whatever she thought she should be saying or doing. So it's it's important. So I want to tell one story if we've got a moment, oh, and you can sure. edit it in or edit it out.
1: It's in. It's whatever. And, it is, um, it's
0: in. Okay. <laughs> so I've written about this a bit and spoken about it a bit, but I, it was really transformative for me in how I saw my role as a permaculture designer or even design facilitator. So. When my oldest son, who's eight now, was about six months old, I was holding him while he slept. And he was finally quiet. He wasn't screaming. And I've built things my whole life. So I thought, how would I build this beautiful, miraculous body? And of course, I'd frame him up first. I'd put all his bones together and I'd attach him with tendons and ligaments and muscles. And then I'd run his circulatory system and his nervous system. I'd install all his organs and I'd sheath them with skin and fill him up with blood and... <clears throat> start them up and i realized that's how i think about permaculture design i'm going to design this place going to do the hardscape going to improve the soils i'm going to do the water systems i'm going to plant put the animals in build the buildings and away you go and that our bodies weren't made that way they were made by doing what they do today nobody dug the river and turned on the tap the river was made by water flowing The ecosystem was made by plants and animals doing what they do by the geological processes. So how would I entirely see the world as a world of process and see my role as how do I modify those processes for more evolutionary outcomes instead of degenerative outcomes? So... For me, that was super helpful in a coherent way of seeing all these things. And for me to then have a desire, okay, if I'm going to do that, how would I learn to see the world in a way that enabled me to do that? How would I have the ways of working, talking with people, understanding people that would enable me to do that? And one of the beautiful things it's done for me is instead of seeing, I've got my design project worked over here and I've got my education work over here. It's all developmental work, right? It's all about a kind of learning and developing and a co-learning, co-creative process. And that's been very helpful for me as well as far more fulfilling because I feel like it's a much more effective way and place to be working. And that's really what that open letter was really all about was saying, okay, guys, we know this is important. We know these changes are important. We have some really good skills and chops understanding how living systems function. Can we lift that all up to a higher level and be far more effective in working on all the living systems we'd better be affecting and not get caught in the same traps that it's so easy for us human beings to get caught in when we're materialists? And how do we look at the metaphysical, biological world instead of that purely physical world? And that's where my hope lies is because I'm sure human beings are beautiful and gifted at that. And it's a matter of working on developing it together. Lovely. Thanks, Joel. So everybody who wrote me a nasty email, thank you.
1: I was going to ask what happened after the open letter. Did you get any nasty emails or did anyone pay attention or, you know, was there,
0: there were some people who were very enthusiastic and shared it considerably. I tend not to be on listservs, so I think I missed most of the flack. People did tell me that it was being discussed on some listservs, and I just didn't see a lot of it. And honestly, I'm not that worried about people being disturbed by things because it will make them think about it, right? And we all can be quite reactionary and flippant, and that's sort of our Achilles heel. So I hope that it troubled some people because that's the only way we're going to work on things is because it troubles us and it was intended as a um an invitation it was not intended as a critique it was meant to say we're all good-hearted we've put an awful lot of work into this an awful lot of care into this i'm a bit older than many of the people and been doing this you know since i was knee-high to a grasshopper and here's what it looks like to me and i think here's what we could step up to And um, I'd love to hear other people's perspectives on that. It was not meant to be a directive or a critique. It was really meant to be something that people said, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, we could do that. Come on, let's go. uh, Years ago, Bill Mollison was here in New Mexico early on in the 80s. And he'd gone to see a site with many new permies. And they were coming back up the strip where where all the big box stores were. And people were whining about, oh, no one's going to listen to us, and we don't have degrees, and blah, 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 we don't know what to do. And he made this grand gesture, and he said, couldn't do any worse, mate. And so uh, that sort of incorrigible spirit I've always uh, tried to embody, right? There's plenty of work to do, and uh, let's rise up to the occasion
1: beautiful yeah I'll, I'll link again to the open letter i did look through it before this i want to go through again and so, I mean, to me so much of the sentiment there is very much just, you know what, what i'm on about it was just really really just cultivating that self-reflection and what is what is permaculture's potential and to what degree is that are we developing that and let's uh, let's not let's let's not be asleep at the wheel here it's great stuff but you know like it doesn't need to stop at this level of greatness it can keep going it can freaking explode and it needs to
0: Well, that's one of the things that urged me to do it, right, is that every lineage that's lasted for hundreds or thousands of years is because the students excel beyond their teachers. And that if each person just is kind of teaching or practicing what they got from their teacher, we know each each generation a little bit is lost, right? I didn't quite get everything Mollison was saying, and I didn't teach – everything I got to my students and they didn't get everything I said. And so it's either going to be a game of telephone where by the end it's unrecognizable and nothing like it was conceived of, or it's going to evolve each go round and get better and better and go in all kinds of directions. None of us had previously conceived. We don't want to make it a dogma and we do not want to make it you must do this and it's got to be this way because it's got to continue to evolve to even just hold its place in a living changing world.
1: Well, I've made my choice in terms of those two options. <laughs> 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 right, Joel. Okay. Well, we should wrap this up, but it's been great. It's been wonderful. And I'll put a link to the stuff we're going to get up to do your time in Melbourne. So anyone interested can check great. those out. And um,
0: yeah. To- awesome. And I look forward to seeing you there in Australia, Dan, and our the free talk and the, the workshop and the TRP. And if people are interested, they can go to RegenesisGroup.com and check out the education button and see what that's all about. Because we'll probably do another one next year.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, I'll definitely put a link to that as well. Brilliant. All right. All right. Be well. And there it is. What a wonderful conversation. I hope that some of you listening out there found it as enriching. Uh, as I did. It's been a few days since the conversation, and I think this conversation with Joel plus the one with Carol, I'm not going to share them now, but I've had a series of significant epiphanies that will be informing where I go with all this stuff from here on in. They're still crystallizing, congealing, so I'll give them that precious time to do so. You'll be hearing about them in a big way in due course, no doubt. Yeah, I, I find it relaxing. I realized listening to Joel talk about some of these same shifts in perspective that I've been banging on about for the last several years on making permaculture stronger, to realise that it's not a new conversation, right? That the Stuff's been out there, it's not new, it's already inside permaculture, it's already happening. It means, yeah, I like it, it means I can relax. What Joel's talking about in having himself confronted the issues with thinking of design as assembly and the importance of starting with the whole and not thinking that you can assemble elements to create a whole Along with the idea of not getting seduced by the idea of a master plan, this idea that a plan which at best is only ever an educated guess is the right place to start when in reality it can't be, I mean it has its place, but the very high risk is that it down the track, it becomes a distraction from whatever the right move to make is at that time. And so this conversation around not freaking out about not having the answers at first and developing ourselves and developing the minds of the people we're working with to be open to this joint stepping into the unknown where there's some things we know like we you know like we bring clarity around what healthy process looks and feels like but we don't jump or snap to grid to a whole bunch of solutions which is so easy to do in such a seemingly easy way out of the pressures that we otherwise feel when people are looking at us expecting us to spit out some some answers. Anyway you can track down Joel's work at Regenesisgroup.com and there's a education tab there uh, where you can find out about this regenerative practitioner training series. I know it's offered in Australia and the States, quite possibly other places as well. Joel's own personal site is patentmind.org. You can find his own blog there. Uh, there's the open letter which I'll reproduce the open letter he wrote to the permaculture movement some years back. I'll reproduce that on the show notes. You can ch- ch- see what else is going on at Making Permaculture Stronger at MakingPermacultureStronger.net. My next conversation is probably going to be with Jason Gerhardt, who I'm interested in having, a, looking forward to having a follow-up conversation with. And I've also got a an interview booked in, or to be booked in, with Bill Reed, who's a close colleague of both Joel and Carol Sanford. So I'm really looking forward to um, continuing to explore this living systems thinking, regenerative paradigm business and what it means practically on the ground. In terms of making permaculture stronger overall, I'm feeling a desire to start bringing a lot of the content and the focus to the practical rubber hits the road useful pointy stuff. So I've been I'm getting emails in from permaculture designers around the world who are working through some of the ideas being explored on the blog and, and um, trying to make sense of them and in, inside their own design experience. I really want to honor the fact that these people are reaching out and, and do what I can to be able to, to share practical useful tools that honor this more general philosophy framework stuff we've been looking at, really tease out the practical implications so you can expect more of that stuff coming up. There's quite a lot of content coming out. It seems like a couple of times a week. It's a bunch of guests posts. And by the way, if there's anyone out there who does feel moved to write something or has something you think might be appropriate, run it past me and I'll if I feel the same way then be a delight to publish it. Also any questions, feel free to email any questions, any, any issues or realizations or anything that you've come across in your own work as a permaculture designer. Also if there's anyone you th- you'd love to hear me interview to invite to an interview on the which may be yourself. reach out I'm really open to suggestions at this point. Oh, yes, I'm always trying to remember to mention the Patreon page. If you want to, you can support this project financially now. Go to the website and there's a there's a support tab. No pressure, but it's there as an option. All right, I'll let you go, and I'll look forward to catching up in episode number 21. Take care. Bye-bye.